0: If you have your Bible this evening, you might want to open it up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, that's the text that Tristan read from a few moments ago, and we're going to be diving in there uh, even deeper tonight as we talk about our our word. Uh, look around, and I see we've got some visitors tonight, and I see we have uh, some that uh, aren't always able to make it here on Sunday evening, so we're glad that you're here tonight. Uh, it's good to see you. And... If you haven't been here, we're working our way through this uh, book, this devotional book, One Word, a different key word to study every week. And we moved into this new unit tonight that has to do with life's struggles, the sort of challenges that we all face on a regular basis. And tonight we're talking about worry. And in some ways, compared to some of the words we've studied, these deep, challenging concepts, it's almost strange to talk about understanding the word worry worry because it's not something conceptually that we need to be taught about we all get worry on an intuitive level humans worry in fact as our text implies that you caught that earlier and we'll look at it more in a minute but of all of God's creation it seems that human beings are the only ones who do worry And that just seems to come naturally. Those birds of the air, those lilies in the field, they don't worry. We're the ones who worry. So in that sense, we don't really need to study the word. Uh, Just as interesting, since this is fundamentally a word study, if you have your old King James Version there, if you were to go into the concordance in the back and you were to look up worry, you won't find it. For that matter, I always use the English Standard Version when I'm preaching and teaching. If I go look up worry in here, I'm not going to find it. (laughs) Worry doesn't appear in either one of those two translations, and it doesn't in some others either. But just because the word isn't there, that doesn't mean the concept isn't there. And there are a few different New Testament words that uh, convey this idea that we generally call worry. Two in particular we should mention. One a, a noun, the other a verb, and both of these are related. You'll see that with the forms. The noun is merimna, that means care or anxiety. That's used six times in the New Testament. Uh, You see it used, for example, in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is telling the parable of the sower. And he talks about that soil there that was the thorns, those that The seed that fell among the thorns. And he says, This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That word cares, that's the word merimna, or worry. Your anxiety, these problems choke it out. That gives us an idea of what it means. Uh, More common is the verb merimnao, that means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, that appears some 17 times in the New Testament. And whenever we see something about being anxious in our text here in Luke 12, that's the word. It appears repeatedly here, just like it appears in the parallel in the Sermon on the Mount, if you recognized uh, what Tristan read a little bit ago more familiarly from Matthew chapter six, same word there. So what these passages and what those definitions, when you talk about being troubled with cares, What this points out is that this is more than just a discouraging emotion. It's more than just something that you have to deal with and have to try to to brush aside. Worry can be seriously harmful on a number of levels, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And it's critical that we confront it then because it is so prevalent. It's one of the greatest problems that we face in modern society. Uh, did you know, for instance, these numbers come to the National Institute of Mental Health, nearly one-third of all adults will suffer some form of clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder in their lives. I believe there's six different uh, anxiety disorders. Nearly one-third will suffer some form of of one in their life, diagnosable. In any given year, roughly 20%, that's about one in five of all adults, are suffering from one. So just looking across the audience tonight, if numbers give any reliable indication, there might be as many as, say, 10 people here tonight suffering from some sort of diagnosable anxiety disorder. So this is a big problem and it's one that we all face. And even if we don't face it in that sense, there are obviously a number of others who are constantly nervously upset about something. Uh, Practically all of us are less content than God intends for us to be. I mean, that would apply across the board. So with all that said, worry's a serious issue, and it's critical that we see what Jesus has to say about it. So when we look here at Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus dealing with the fact that from time immemorial, humanity has struggled with worry and searched for some source of security in their lives. And in fact, we started reading in verse 22 earlier, but I want you to go back starting in verse number 16 because... One of the most widely used approaches that people have to deal with worry is alluded to by Jesus here in the parable that immediately precedes his instructions. That's why we wanted to read from Luke's account instead of the Sermon on the Mount, because this all ties together. You go back to Luke 12, verse 16. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich farmer or the rich fool, as we typically call him, because God even calls him a fool, the rich farmer was worried about the future. What's he going to do? And so he came up with his solution. Ah, here's what I'll do. I'll acquire an abundance of possessions, all of these goods, and he felt that if he stored them all up, then he'd have it made. He'd be set. He could just laugh at the time to come. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That sounds so familiar because we recognize that there are quite literally millions of people all around the world who still cope with worry with that very same mechanism. There's this feeling of security, at least that's what people think, that comes from owning a good deal of the world's goods, this sense of control that you have over your life. But it doesn't work. And it doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One, simply, we can't live forever. I mean, that's what's pointed out here in the parable, right? Sometimes death comes suddenly and unexpectedly. Sometimes it comes slowly and gradually, but it comes relentlessly, and it comes for every one of us. So no matter how much you store up here on this earth, you can't possibly take it with you. We can't escape it. It doesn't matter how much we own, it doesn't matter how much we control, it's going to come for us. The rich grow old and they die, just like the poor do. So this ultimately won't help us cope with our worries. But the second reason maybe isn't so obvious, but it's insidious. And that is oftentimes we don't possess those things so much as those things possess us if we start to store up a bunch of the world's goods, those slowly but surely begin to take control over our lives. The person who possesses a lot finds that when they do that, they have a lot more responsibility, a lot more care and concern. With that responsibility comes all of the problems that go along with it. Or to quote the great... 20th century philosopher, the notorious B.I.G., Mo' Money, Mo' Problems, is one way to look at it. That may fall flat with this audience, I don't know. (laughs) Many people who are unusually successful in acquiring this world's goods end up longing for that old, simple life when things were easier, when they didn't have all that stress, when they didn't have all that responsibility. And so it's right after this story When Jesus tells this parable, here's the way so many people try to deal with their worries. They try to acquire as much stuff as they can that he gives our instructions. He presents our text and he says in verse 22 to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. There was a good reading this week. I mean, a lot of times... Uh, many of them are, are really good, but for those of you who are, who are keeping up in the one-word book, there was one that really stood out to me, and it talked about concern versus worry. And I think that's a distinction that we need to keep in mind here. The teachings of Christ are not against concern, being reasonably cautious about the future and making provision for your life. They're about worry. You know, if we had a blackboard here, we could take and we could draw a line down the middle and we could put be anxious on one side and we could put work and pray on the other side. And that's really the contrast that we see here in this text. These are two opposite approaches to life. Not that you don't work, but you ultimately leave it in God's hands. We realize there's a certain degree of faith, of trust involved in life. Uh, Things are out of our control And say, well, we don't need to be worried about them. God expects us to be diligent. He expects us to exercise foresight. He expects us to work hard. But he doesn't expect his people to worry about the future. So the Christian point of view is that we will do our best. We will labor at whatever constructive, wholesome work that we can find in our life. But then we'll leave the results to the Lord because ultimately we don't have control over. Work and pray. That should be the Christian's outlook on life. So ultimately, we must have our priorities right and we must learn to trust God. And that's the point Jesus makes pretty straightforwardly here, starting in verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. His point is that if God can create life. Obviously a difficult act. Then surely he can provide for that life. Surely he can sustain it and continue to nurture it. And he presses that further in the next verse. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Drop down to verse 27 because he's making the same point here. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God provides for the ravens, or the birds of all time. God provides for the flowers, the lilies, the grasses of the field. And his point is, and he's reasoning like a lot of the rabbis in his day did, from the lesser to the greater. If God will take care of those aspects of creation, how much more will he take care of humanity, which is the pinnacle, the crown jewel of his creation, made in his own image? You notice here that the birds, the flowers, they're not idle, but they don't worry either. The birds are very active in foraging for food. They don't just expect it to drop out of the sky, but they don't worry. The lilies draw moisture, they draw nutrients from the soil, but they don't worry. They have work to do, but they're not anxious about it. And so the point Jesus is making here is that worry and anxiety, they're unnecessary. They don't do any good. Our Lord loves us and he will provide for us just like he provides for all of his creation. His next argument then sort of builds on that and it is that anxiety doesn't do any good. This is the verses that we skipped. Verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Now, the Greek word that's translated as span of life here in the ESV, it can also be translated as something like uh, measure. And so your translation may say something like add a cubit to his stature. And either one of those could be right. So what he's asking here, in either case, the point's the same. If you worry about it, can you make yourself any taller? No. I expect some of us would be taller if that were the case, right? I won't name any names. If you worry about it, can you live any longer? No. And in fact, what we know, we sort of alluded to this already, worry actually comes near harming us physically than it does any good. We mentioned those Uh, psychological disorders, but that's to say nothing of things like insomnia or high blood pressure or headaches or uh, ulcers or on and on and on. We could go with these sorts of things. Jesus is simply saying, worry doesn't do any good because that worry isn't going to change anything. He brings this all to the climax there down in verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Christians don't need to worry because they have a Father who will provide for them. Your Father. And I think that word is critical here in this context for recognizing that we have someone that we're in a relationship with, someone who, just like an earthly father, loves us and cares for us and will provide what we need. This is the same message that we find, for instance, in Peter's writings. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and he uses one of these words that we mentioned already where he says that we need to cast all our cares or our anxieties or worries. It could be translated just that same way, same Greek word. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. The Lord is concerned with us, and we can take our problems to him, turn our worries over, knowing that he's going to take care of us. And that points to the fundamental solution for worry. Starting in verse 31, the secret is to fix your heart on the right things. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus effectively says here, don't worry. And here's how. Make God's kingdom the first priority in your life. As long as our main concern in life are the things that he talks about not worrying about in this text, but the things that so many are concerned with, our bodies, our food, our clothes, our possessions, our houses, whatever it may be, we're in an uncertain and precarious situation because none of those things last your body is ultimately going to break down. Your food is going to rot. Your clothes, even if you buy really good ones, eventually they're going to wear out. Your house is going to have problems. You're going to have termites, or you're going to have a leak in the roof, or you're going to have plumbing issues, or whatever it may be. If you're concerned with all of these things, there is no way out, other than the way of anxiety and worry because it's just one problem after another that's emerging. This life is too impermanent. It's too changing. But when we make God and when we make his kingdom central in our lives, worry and anxiety, they start to fade away because we rearrange our priorities. We realize what really is paramount. We shouldn't be burdened by the uncertainties of this life. Paul sums this up really well in Romans chapter eight and just to read part of this chapter. Verse number 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We combat worry, not with things, but with triumph over things. And by placing our faith not in anything in this world, but in God. And so in the midst of an anxious, care-ridden, worrying age, we Christians need to instead focus on those things that are eternal. I know that's easier said than done because we're all beset by worry. But I want to encourage us to try to renew our faith and try to focus on those things that are more important than anything that's temporal, transitory here. May we all seek the kingdom of God first and foremost. And if you're here tonight and you haven't been doing that, If you need to make changes this evening in a public way in order to be right with God, we want to encourage you. Take the opportunity you have now to do it while we stand and while we sing.